I won't take any time to review last week's message, but until the Lord releases me, it's going to continue to be more of the same. We're going to tap on a, a different course of Scripture, but it's the same conversation. And I just, I just want to ask you, are you hearing these messages? Are you actually taking time to internalize what the Lord is saying through these, these sermon messages? Because, you see, he's trying to, and it you know, depends on how you want to look at it, rise up. He says that, that, that uh, in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom, which starts the minute for any person, the minute that they really, truly give their life to Jesus and trust in his sacrifice on behalf of their sin debt, that, that the kingdom begins at that moment for that person. And that there's, um, there's, uh, there's exaltation in the kingdom. There's promotion in the kingdom. Since it's your first time, I'm going to make you not have to twist your head. Tell me, you can't go home today and said nobody loved you. There you go. All right. Yeah. But exaltation comes from humility. He says, the one who will be the greatest among you, remember the disciples, James and John, their mom goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, you know, when you establish your kingdom, just put one of my boys on your left and one of my boys on your right. And Jesus is like, well, you don't get it at all. He said, the way that you find that place in the kingdom is to be the slave of all, the servant of all, the one who humbles themselves. The lowest person is where the exaltation comes from. And God is looking for a place that he can exalt in truth, in righteousness, in holiness, that his power can flow so that we can see the testimony, so that we can see the testimony, so we can see the freedom, we can see the deliverance. That when, when Grandpa Larry or Diane calls and says, man, you guys got to pray, our grandson... It's like God's going to hear because he's close to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. So when we want to rise up in the world and then cry out to God, you know, you'd like to think it's, it's cool, but it's just not. He's not hearing those prayers. When a man doesn't honor his wife, if he doesn't humble himself before how God says you're supposed to be to your wife and, and he prays, God says, sorry, I don't hear your prayers because you dishonor your wife. You're not humble before me. So I'm just, I'm just telling you, if you're thinking that, that, you know, I'm a pretty good guy and he's, you know, he's probably talking to those really rotten people in the church, the Lord is talking to all of us. And remember, um, First Peter says to me, an elder in the church, you be an example to the flock. So where did he start this conversation? He started it with me. He showed me my own affections. And he said, Pat, listen, you've been crying out and crying out. I mean, God bless you. You pray a lot, but I'm not holding anything back. It's your affections that are restraining me through you. And until I humbled myself, it wasn't time for me to try to, because then I'm a hypocrite, telling you, hey, listen, you should do what I'm not willing to do. So I want you to hear, and I want you to hear like God is talking to you because he is. I promise you, as wonderful as the most wonderful one of you are, you're that far from being Jesus. And, and until we close that gap, then it's for everybody. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um, I had a Mike Pick moment. If anybody knows Pick, you know, he hears a word and it becomes some, uh, this whole thing. He breaks it into a, into a sentence of words. And, and I heard the Lord say bodybuilders. Bodybuilders. And then it's like, it's like okay, bodybuilders. I mean, if somebody wants to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, which, you know, you young people, you, you probably know him as the Terminator, but he's actually the best bodybuilder in the history of the world, I think. If you want to be a bodybuilder, you have to be so disciplined. 
You, you have to lift weights until your muscles are screaming in pain. You have to restrict your diet so much because you've got to have, like, paper-thin skin so that every vein and every, you know, I could show you, but I don't want to show off. <laughs> um, you cannot be a champion, world-class bodybuilder without extreme discipline. You have to want it. You have to make a decision that all of these pleasures I'm setting aside because I have this goal. And then I heard, this is pick, bodybuilders. That's what we are. We're bodybuilders, right? We're all to make disciples. The body of Jesus Christ is being built up. And, and Jesus, not this week, but you know, some week. I mean, I might be still doing this in the January, but, but one of these next weeks, you're going to hear when he says, count the cost. He says, don't make any decisions about any of this stuff until you understand the cost. But I, I don't want to go to hell. It's like, that's cool. Nobody wants to go to hell. But not going to hell costs you this life. But what about my possessions? Yeah, you've got to give them all up. Well, what about my affections for my family? You should love your family. But if your devotion to me doesn't make that look like, hey, you're not worthy of me. Count the cost. And then decide. Because if you, if you don't count the cost and think you've decided... You're wondering, how come I don't get to be in any bodybuilding tournaments? Like, why is my stomach so fat? Why are my biceps so small? Because you chose that other thing instead of the pain, the sacrifice associated with. Why are people getting healed? Because we're choosing to humble ourselves before the Lord. And it's just scratching the surface. I'm telling you, it's just scratching the surface. So we're bodybuilders. No discipline, no results. Discipline, results. And you know what? If, if I can have a part in the Lord in praying when we get the message that says, yeah, he's, he's okay, but his heart's only functioning at 30%, oh, you know, and we get back down and we pray and we say, Lord, 30% is at least alive, but 30% isn't 100%. You're a 100% guy. We're just crying out on behalf of this young man that he would have 100%, 100%, Lord. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you, you're having a conversation. Oh, yeah, by the way, they did a test and the heart's at 100% now. That ain't, a great, that ain't a great doctor. Forgive me. God bless the doctor. That, that can be our biceps. That's a great God. Okay. With that little prelude, I'm going to start in Mark chapter 8. Really, last week he, he whittled me down to Matthew chapter 10, and this week Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. And the first part is contextual because this... Scripture is also parallel in Matthew 16, and I was going to read both, but I talked so long I thought I'd just read one. They're basically the same. So here's the, here's the context. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he questioned his disciples, saying to them, wait a minute, I keep, I keep hearing the Lord. I didn't, I didn't pray, and I didn't get anybody to pray for me, although I think Patty prayed for me as a, in a hug. So Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to serve these people. I ask, Lord, that your anointing be present on me to speak, Lord. If a word's going to come out of my mouth that wouldn't come straight out of your mouth, Lord, then just shut me up and put your words in my mouth. And your word says that do they have ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that the ears will hear today the truth of the call to be a disciple. And then everyone can decide at, to whatever level you know, we're at until we reach the level that's Jesus, that level of surrender. We've still got room to go.
So, Lord, anoint the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and, and, and for me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, Jesus uh, questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do the people, or who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. In, in another gospel, it's, it's shared. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So here's Jesus, and he's, he's preparing his disciples for what's coming. He's going to go into Jerusalem because that's where the prophet has to die, and these things are going to happen, so he's preparing them. Matter-of-factly, he's just telling them how it's going to be. But Peter, because of the influence of Satan, that's a flaming arrow. When, when we talk about flaming arrows, that's a flaming arrow. When Ephesians says that you extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one with your shield of faith, Peter's shield was down. Because Jesus was telling them what had to happen, and Peter was saying no. And what Jesus said is, because your mind is set on man, not on God's plan, but what seems right to man, and he rebuked him, but he rebuked the source of the thought. Get behind me, Satan. Because he understood that Peter, remember, if, if I would have read you that previous thing, who, but who do you say they are? Peter responded, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, that was not given to you by man, but by my father who is in heaven. See, Jesus in that context recognized the source of Peter's thought. Well, they said, some say you're Elijah and some say you're this prophet and some say you're John the Baptist. Okay, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That didn't come from man. That didn't come from your thoughts. That was given to you. That was a, that was a, a good flaming arrow if there's, if there's such a way to present it. This is a bad flaming arrow. Satan suggested to Peter's thoughts, stop this thing. If Jesus would have listened to him, Peter would have probably started giving him some plans on how it could be otherwise, right? He said, no, get behind me, Satan. And he told Peter, be careful because your thoughts are on the things of man, not the things of God, okay? That's the context for what comes next. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Phew, is right. I'm going to reference something that most of you are familiar with, but, but some of you are not. So let me just quickly. There's a guy who did this beautiful illustration of life, like life in our context, starts at conception, right? So so a sperm and an egg got together, a person was conceived, 
for nine-ish months. They lived inside the mother's womb as they got prepared to come out. And then they lived this natural life that we're all in right now. And then they die, and then they live an eternal life. And the way he represented this was with this, what was supposed to represent a never-ending rope. And, and it, at this end of the rope, it starts, and it goes about this far, and it's painted red. And then there's this white part. And he'd pull on it and pull on it and pull on it and pull on it and pull on it, and it's just white rope after white rope after white rope. Everybody is going to have an eternity. They're gonna, the, the red part, this life, natural life ends, and eternal life starts. The question that gets answered in natural life is where is the white part of the rope going to get spent? Is it going to get spent with God in heaven? Or is it going to get spent in torment under the wrath of God paying for their sins? That's the question, right? So that's the question that we're talking about. He says, if you want to have this life, you can keep it, but you can't have that life. So if, if we keep the little red part, we give up the white part. If we give up the red part, we gain the white part. Okay, that's just context. All right. Um, All of this last part, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, lose your life for the sake of the gospel, and Jesus will gain life. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his life? I'm I'm going to look at all that through the lens of deny yourself, okay? Deny yourself. And it was interesting this week. I'm not much of a storyteller. At least I don't think I am, but I got a story. So I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm praying, and I'm reading my Bible, and Tiny Grace comes down, and she says... Daddy, did you eat? And I said, no. Are you hungry? I said, yeah, I could eat. That's how Tanya asks me to make her breakfast. <laughs> Daddy, are you hungry? <laughs> yeah, me too. Why don't I run upstairs and do my makeup and you could make us breakfast? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, let's eat. She said, what do you want? I said, I like some bacon and some eggs. And she's standing there. I'm like, but I want you to make it. So anyway, Tiny goes out, and she starts cooking breakfast. And then a little bit, I go out, and we're cooking breakfast together. And she's cooking the bacon, and, and I'm cooking the eggs. And we're making the kind of eggs, you know, that got the yellow part like this. And I said, honey, do you want the yellow part runny or dry? She said, dry. And I had my part runny. We're cooking the eggs, and we're sitting down. And every morning, just about, his, you know, Tiny would come down, and, Daddy, did you make any coffee for me? You know, she likes to have some coffee. She drinks it like a man, hot and black, good girl, no sugar, no cream, no syrup coffee for Tanya Grace. And she hasn't been asking me about coffee, so we're eating breakfast, and I'm like, Tanya Grace, you never ask me for coffee anymore. How come? You, did you not like coffee? She says, no, I love coffee. And I said, well, how come? She said, because of the baby. And I said, well, how about your eggs? You know, I thought you liked them, you know, with the yellow part runny. She said, I do. I said, how come dry? Because they say you can't eat it that way with the baby, so I don't eat it because of the baby. I said, Tiny Grace, do you understand what you're doing? She says, I don't know what you mean. I said, you're denying yourself for somebody else, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, guess what? If coffee's no good for you, right? In my case, it was the things on the Netflix that I was looking at, probably many other things that, you know, he's going to continue to show me. But you, you can't drink coffee because you're, you know, you can drink coffee. It's okay, you know, I, not that many of you. You'll all be gone. No coffee, sorry, just me and Tanya. And then she's not pregnant anymore and she's gone too. <laughs> But the point is, that's what Jesus is saying. And Tanya, because of a good heart, her concern for the baby is greater than her concern for herself. She quit drinking coffee. I mean, probably some other things, you know, because of the welfare of the baby. And that's the picture of what Jesus is saying to us. Not because, you know, uh, I just like to see you struggle and I know what you like and I don't want you to have it. It's because he knows how we're created. 
He knows what we're created for. I had a conversation with somebody one time that did, did kind of like questioning, well, you know, why do I got to do all this stuff? And it's like, well, you don't because the other stuff that you want to do, it will please you. It's pleasurable. If you do sinful things, you do them because you're, you're looking for some pleasure, some satisfaction, some goodness, and you'll actually get some. Sin can bring you pleasure, but it cannot bring you life. If, if we, I'm sure this is true, but I haven't, I haven't totally, I mean, not even close to totally got it figured out yet, but Jesus says, or God says in the scriptures, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, we found all these other things to delight ourselves in, and we think they're going to bring us the desires of our heart, but they're hollow, and they're shallow, and they can't bring life. So I think in the surrender, one of the things that I'm going to find, I'm going to learn how to delight myself in the Lord. And he's going to give me the desires of my heart. And I'm believing that the desires of my heart will then be the desires of his heart. And he's going to empower that. And then I'm going to get to go Yahoo because Sherry and these other things are just the tip of the iceberg. Okay, so Tanya doesn't drink coffee or you know eat runny eggs anymore because she's denied herself on behalf of her concern for the baby that she's carrying. The same as us. So here's some things. Unforgiveness. You know, somebody did you wrong, and, and you know, it's like, well, everybody else needs to forgive, but, I, but this was so bad. It's like God says, no, you have to deny yourself unforgiveness. You cannot have unforgiveness and be a disciple of Jesus. So when you count the cost, you need to think about things like that. I mean, I know most of you probably counted the cost, but let's pretend some of you didn't. You, you need to think about somebody some bodies probably are going to do you wrong between the time you make that decision for Jesus and the time you enter into the white part of the rope. And you have to have counted the cost and made a decision because otherwise you're going to want to hold on to the bitterness that comes with what they did to you that was wrong. And you've got to let it go. You've got to love the guy that takes your daughter to Indianapolis to live with him who's not even her husband. But I don't want to love that guy. I want to hate that guy. I want him to get in a car crash on the way up here I really didn't want that, but it makes the story better. But the point is, I was tested a lot. And I said, Lord, i got to do what you said, so I'm going to love him. And then the grace comes because I humbled myself, and I got this crazy affection for this guy that it's like, you know, I want to tell myself, stop it. But I can't because that's what God wants because God's got a whole bigger perspective than just my concern for Ashley's behavior and what that means to her relationship with God. He, he sees that guy who needs, he needs, a, he needs a way in. And maybe that'll get to be me or Treese or, you know, something like that. Unforgiveness, covetousness, selfishness. I want, I want, well, covetousness. <laughs> selfishness and covetousness probably, probably pal up pretty well. But these are things that we have to deny in God's kingdom because that's not how his kingdom operates. His kingdom operates in in selflessness. Remember, the one who's exalted is the one who goes the lowest. Who's your next pastor? Well, we're having an outreach. We're bringing the people in. We're going to have some uh, porta toilets out there. You know, sorry, when people go in there, they pee all over them. Who wants to be the guy that serves the steaks? I'll serve the steaks. Okay, who wants to be the guy that after everybody goes in there, wipes the pee off the thing so the next guy can actually use it? I'll do it. Guess what? That's the next bishop right there. That's the next guy that's going to lay hands on somebody and see them get healed. 
because it's the humility, the willingness to do the little, humble, nobody's going to call me a hero, but everybody's going to say, man, that was the best steak I ever had, and want to pat you on the back. All these things we have to choose to deny if we're actually going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll focus on deny yourself today. They're all necessary, right? Have you ever heard the phrase boil the ocean or eat an elephant in one meal, right? I mean, you know, if you're going to boil the ocean, you get a cup and you get it hot, you get another cup and you get it hot, you you do it a little bit at a time. So rather than try to consume all this at once, we'll just look at it today through the the lens of deny yourself. The, The thing that God started me on this process with, he started it with me and it's the one that always, always, like when I think of unforgiveness, covetousness, selfishness, I have to think of those things. The one I don't have to think of is defilement, things that are not holy. Now, selfishness is definitely not holy, but that's not the, the, the way that the Lord is speaking to me right now. It's, it's the world. It's fellowship with the world, right? James says in chapter 4 that if you want to be a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. So for me, what I've been doing is I'm like, okay, you know, I, I kind of would like to do this. Is it the world? It is the world. If I do that, I am being an enemy to God. I'm hostile. That's the other word he uses. I'm being hostile towards God. So what's my decision? Well, I can't do that. I mean, I can, but I can't because I've chosen to be. I made account of the cost. It's like, oh, I don't get to have that anymore. I hate to even tell you this because I'm not altogether sure yet. But I didn't play, play racquetball yesterday because I think I might be done playing racquetball. Because racquetball, you, know, you guys don't know, but it's like, you know, racquetball is my only thing that, whatever, I love to play racquetball. Is racquetball sinful? It's not. Is it an idol in my life? I think it's not. But it hinders me from being useful to God. Two nights a week I play racquetball. I'm thinking to myself, man, I could do Bible studies because most people can't do them during the day. I could do Bible studies two more nights a week if I didn't have racquetball in the way. Lord, are you asking me to take away racquetball? He's not even giving me an answer. He's just letting me decide. I think I'm done playing racquetball. I mean, you know, not like I might never play, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But it's a process. It's because I'm, I'm, I'm engaging the process of denying myself rather than going, you know, la, 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 la. One of the things I didn't say that was earlier in my notes is, you know, are you comfortable with your relationship with Jesus? Have you hit your stride? You know, it's, it's pretty good. If, if, you're, if you're comfortable with it, you probably don't have the right stride yet. Because whatever is the difference between my life and what Jesus speaks to and demonstrated, I should be uncomfortable that there's a gap. If I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable. Now, he may never close the gap in every way, right? Because I'm not Jesus, I'm a part of Jesus. You're a part of Jesus. You're a part of Jesus. You're a part of Jesus. You're, you know, we're all a part of Jesus. If we would all decide to deny ourselves, then collectively we are the body of Jesus and whoop, we'll close the gap. And what does the scripture say? Jesus, us. Close the gap, close the gap, close the gap, close. Wait a minute, you're getting above Jesus here. Yeah, because greater works than these you shall do because I go to the Father and send the helper. Greater works collectively, the body of Christ, right? So I'm engaging the process. I pray every day, Lord, if there's something that's got to go, you just show me. And I'm getting brave to actually say, take this thing. Like I said, take racquetball if you want it. 
because I was afraid I wouldn't listen to him if he told me. So, Lord, I'm just telling you right now, you want it, you take it. I'll take whatever you want to put in its place. I don't, in my flesh, I don't even think it'll be better. I really like playing racquetball, but I know it will be better because the glory of God will be more able to flow through me. Okay. So the context for deny yourself that I'm going to speak to today is defilement. Any affiliation with or love for the world, the world and its systems. I want to go to the club. I just want to party. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. Hey, it's, you know, I know. I know it's an R-rated movie. Quit telling me I can't watch R-rated movies. I'm like, eh, what's what you want? But, but when you go there and, and Jesus wouldn't sit next to you and put his eyes on what you're putting your eyes on, just understand you're defiling yourself. You're, you're doing this. You're, you're opening up your eyeball and you're pouring poison right down in there. And as that poison gets down in there, what's happening is the places that the Holy Spirit could use get filled up with the poison because he wants to be in there in such a way that he can get out. But the, but the poison, the music, I like this music. It's defiling you. Well, you know, I mean, it's why I grew up with this. You know, I, I heard some guy on, the, on a, a YouTube thing. He's talking. He's like, but I love, I, I don't even know if Metallica is bad, so you have to forgive me. I never was a heavy metal guy. But I'm guessing Metallica probably that didn't come from heaven. Not a Christian man. <laughs> yeah, and not a Christian spirit behind the music, right? So, so what's the spirit behind that music? Well, you know, God understands. I'm like, okay, he does. You might still get to go to heaven if you listen to Metallica. But you will so dramatically diminish your opportunity to fulfill the purpose that God had in his mind when he thought more thoughts about you than all the grains of sand on the earth before he formed you together in your mother's womb. And then at the back end, of, you know, this, this white part of the rope... It's going to be different than it would have been. It not, might not be in hell. It might still be in heaven. But do you want to stand before the Lord for this little tiny part that you can't, if you stood back far enough to try to see the rope, you couldn't even see the red part because the white part is so big. Do you really want to trade the glory of the white part for the glory of the red part? Francis, somebody says to Francis Chan, they're like, you sold your house and gave the money to poor people? You're crazy. He's like, no, you're crazy because you think this is more important than that. I'm investing here. You're investing here. You're crazy. Sorry. I just, I can hear his voice. He's like, no, you're crazy. Okay, defilement. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, just prior to this are the promises. I will live inside of them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my children. Having those promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Most defilement, most defilement. No, all defilement. The call is to be holy, perfect, perfect holiness in the fear of God. Well, what does the fear of God mean? I'll leave that to you. But I think the word behind it, I know the word behind it, is phobos, phobia, fear. It's not like reverence. It could be a reverent fear, but it's a fear. What's the fear? That you won't gain the promises, that he won't be your God and you won't be his children, that he won't walk among you and he won't dwell inside of you. Somewhere later, I think it's Hebrews or James, somewhere that side of the New Testament from your perspective over here, it says, and no one, and without sanctification, holiness, no one will see God. Two, ex two examples same deal, two different places in Scripture, of, of how defilement kind of happens. It's, a, it's an example. And remember, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, I am the light of the world. 
And then he said, you are the light of the world. Okay? So the, then the question is, what kind of light do we emanate, right? So Luke eleven thirty three through 36. No one, this is Jesus speaking. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Let me give you another scripture first. Not in here, but I just I can't stop thinking about it. I've quoted this one a bunch over the last month or two. In James, again, where he talks about you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility and enmity towards God? He also says, do you think the scripture speaks to no... The scripture speaks to no purpose or something like that. To know what? No, it doesn't matter. That... God jealously desires the spirit that he's placed inside of you. And, and what, what he, James is saying is, you made a confession of lordship to Jesus to serve his purposes, and God said, awesome, in order for him to do it, I'm going to put my spirit in there. And there is no evidence that his spirit is inside the person. God's jealous. He's like, hey, I put Holy Spirit in there, but they're not healing anybody. They're not sharing the gospel with anybody. They're not loving their neighbor as themselves I can't tell my spirit is in there by looking at what's going on on the outside. So, okay, so he puts a light in a lamp. Somebody lights a lamp. That's kind of analogous to this, right? That's, he, he lights us up. How does he light us up? He puts his spirit inside of us. Okay, so nobody, after putting his Holy Spirit inside of you, puts you in the cellar or hides you under a basket. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. But on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. So that, so that somebody who doesn't know Jesus gets to know Jesus because they can see the light that he's placed inside of us. It's like, well, you know, I got this problem, you know, and, and I got to go to the thing. It's like, well, we'll pray for you. And, and bam, the light gets all over and you don't even go to the place because you don't need to because God delivered you and it's done. And it's like, well, how did that happen? Because Jesus delivers and he's inside of me and he's empowered me with the authority that he has over all of creation to be able to bring about his purposes. And his purpose for you in that moment is that you shouldn't have that problem anymore and he's going to take it from you. Because people have humbled themselves before him and allowed his spirit to get out. <sighs> the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light and no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illuminates you with its rays. What goes in determines what comes out. See, either way, we're going to be light. We could be light that looks like a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones, right? We could pretend to be light. And, and when people are looking, we can, we can shine ourselves all up and, you know. But there's no real light because that is a facade. That's not rivers of living water, so to speak, right? Or we could be so full of darkness that the light is easy to see. It's darkness, it, it's what goes in is what comes out. Remember, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? If you fill your heart full of junk, guess what? Eventually, it's going to find its way out your mouth. You fill your heart full of the love of Jesus Christ and the truth that he gives us in his scriptures, and then what's going to come out of your mouth is going to be light, and it's going to be truth, and it's going to be edifying, and it's, and it's going to cause you to love somebody that your flesh doesn't want to love. Parallel in Matthew. And I'll give you more context on this one because it's really cool. From Matthew chapter 6, going to go from uh, verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
and that's the red part, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for, up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, see, I can desire earthly treasure. There's things like, you know, we drive old cars. We never drove old cars. We always got free car from the company. Every year, brand new car. Every year, brand new car. I really like driving new cars better than I like driving old cars. I like driving a car that if I want to leave my stuff in there, I push the button and the door locks lock. I drive a car, I push the door lock thing, it goes beep, but the door locks don't move. <laughs> so I got to reach over here and push on this one and reach over here and push on this one and then reach around and push on this one and then reach and push on this one. And then I drive around, I get in later and I need to get something out. I'm over there, I then unlock the door. And if I push the button, it'll go beep. But it, I can walk around. I mean, I like new cars better than old cars. I just do. You probably do too, but I drive old cars because I don't have that money anymore, right? I could find pleasure in the world. But, but I want to be a smart guy, a wise guy. <laughs> be a wise guy. Be a wise guy. Use guys. Here we go again. And, and, and invest the red part so that I can have the treasury. I mean, just getting into heaven, that's going to be awesome. But it must mean something when he says, store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Do it. You'll, you'll wish, if you don't, you'll wish you did. You, you're not going to have sadness, but you'll have something that you'll be glad you have. So I'm, you know, I'm saying that's a good trade. That's what I'm going to do. Where your treasure is, where you set your eye, how you, you know, if I treasure just the pleasures of my flesh, I'm going to open this thing up, you know, and get my glasses out of the way, and I'll pour the poison down in there. And, and I will get some level of satisfaction from that but it defiles me, and it makes me unuseful, and, and it doesn't bring life. It might bring pleasure, but it can't bring life. Okay, so, so, so we have to decide. It's just not a matter of what we like. It's what we decide. He goes on, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that's the point of defilement today. It's about what are you going to expose yourself to? Are you going to deny yourself these things that are not what God would prescribe for us? Heaven forbid, you know, they're the world. And, and, and in that moment, we're actually exposing the truth of our hearts that, that we're, we're happy to be an enemy of God and please our flesh. It's defilement by exposure. What goes in determines what can get out. And then I already mentioned this to you, but God jealously desires that spirit, the Holy Spirit that he's placed inside of us. See, he didn't place his spirit inside of us just as a seal. It's, a, it's an earnest deposit. It's called like when you go to go buy a house and you sign the papers and, and you give them you know, $1,000 or $5,000 of what's called earnest money. That's your deposit. You're putting a, a thing and that's what holds until you actually, you know, the bank gives you the rest of the money and you give it to them and they sign the deed. That's what holds that house for you. See, our salvation hasn't ultimately happened yet. God has made an earnest deposit. He's placed his spirit inside of us as an earnest deposit, but we could still break the deal. He'll take his spirit back. What he's saying here is, I put my spirit inside of you. I want to see evidence that he's in there because I didn't just do it so that you could continue to live in the world and then come and say, you know, woo, heaven, the white part's awesome. He said, no, the kingdom starts now, and now you have a purpose in life that's greater than anything, any pleasure, any, anything like that, that has eternal rewards. You have a purpose as a, as a subject of my kingdom to bring about my will. 
my purposes. And, and, and that's what we're supposed to be focused on. But if we let our eyes be focused on all this other stuff, then we might still you know, have some connection. The earnest deposit might still be in there, but the purpose is surrendered, or, or the, the, the ability to fulfill the purpose is surrendered because God doesn't flow through dirty vessels. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So we want one master. We don't. I don't. But I battle with him. One master is my flesh, and the other master is my spirit. And we have to make a decision. Which master are we going to serve? Because if we try to serve both, we won't serve either. We'll despise one and hate the other. We'll, We'll be in no man's land with regard, which is really not in God's kingdom, right? One foot out and one foot in is equivalent to both feet out. Why is that true? Because Jesus says, if you want this life, you can't have that one. If you give up this one, you can have that one. But if you won't give up this one, you can't have that one. So we might think, you know, I go to church on Sunday and, you know, I read my Bible a couple times a week and, you know, I don't swear when nobody's looking and, or somebody's looking. And, and it's like one foot in, one foot out, both feet out. What about I'm so committed to the Lord but sometimes I did swear. One foot in, one foot out? Probably not. Both feet in. Well, how do you reconcile that? One guy swears he's not in, another guy swears he is in. Because God measures the heart. So, so if I screw up according to being a disciple, following Jesus, being holy as he's holy, and I'm broken by it, he looks at my heart. I'm good to go. You know, this is probably more personal than, you know, but I'm telling you anyway. I got two daughters in two different places. Three daughters. But two, you know, the Ukrainian girls. And um, one of them announced, I'm 18 years old, I'm an adult. I'm moving out. I'm going to go live with this guy in Indiana. You can't stop me because I'm an adult. Another one with her head down, staring at the carpet, couldn't look up. Tanya Grace, are you pregnant? Tanya, are you pregnant? Tanya, look at me. Tanya, look at me. Are you pregnant? Tanya, come here. Put your head right here. Put it here. Put your head here. Come here. Tanya, relax. Tanya, I love you. I couldn't love you any more than I do right now. You're pregnant, you're not pregnant. I don't care. I love you. I had to fight my way to do that with Ashley. Why? Because Ashley approached me, she rejected me, right? She's rejecting everything that I stand for in the Lord. And she's telling me I can't stop her. And this one tells her mom, I don't want to tell dad. I don't want to disappoint him. She was so broken. God says, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. What's the difference? It's humility versus pride. Now, I'm telling you what, God loves Ashley and I love Ashley. It's just an example. Ashley is going to come... I could tell you some good stories already, but, you know, it's, it's going to take a little time with Ashley because, you know, that's just Ashley's story, I guess. But the point is, when, when I sin before the Lord and I come to him with a broken and contrite heart and humility saying, Lord, I'm so sorry I did. It's the third time I did this, Lord. Please, I need your grace to repent. Man, he's like, come here. Put your head here. No, you're, you're holding yourself back. Put your head here. I couldn't love you any more than I love you. When you say, God, listen, you know what? You made me. It's your fault. You shouldn't have made me this way. And you're just going to have to be okay with this part of my life being like this. Guess what? 
He loves you just as much from the far end of his arm, though, because there's no grace there. Humility is just a gate to everything awesome. And even in the natural, if you humble yourself, if you screwed up, you know, oh, boss, you know what? Uh, The $1,000 tool you gave me to use, I broke it. I'm so sorry. Your boss can't stay mad at you very long because humility creates a grace situation that is beautiful. But pride, just the opposite. The treasure you choose to pursue will determine the master you follow. That's what he's saying there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You can't have two treasures because you'll despise both of your masters because they won't serve you the way you want them to serve you. So the treasure you choose, not, not like this is what I love, this is what I want. No, no, you have to look and you have to evaluate. Do I want the world or do I want God's kingdom? And then the treasure that you choose will determine who will be the master of your heart. All right, I'm almost done. We'll close like this. Which life do we want? Which life do you want? Which life do I want? Life with Jesus in his kingdom or life in the world? Life of purpose, mission, eternal reward, or life-serving self, and forgive me, um, wasted unto purpose and glory. It's pleasurable, but it can't bring life. Don't be deceived. You can have either, but you can't have both. You can't have both. Why? Because Jesus said so. He said, count the cost, make a decision, because if you don't count the cost, you're always going to be one eye looking over this way because your flesh is going to want to be fed, and you have to be able to remember, pick up your cross daily. What's that cross? It's an implement of death. You take that thing that your flesh wants, that music, that movie, that alcohol, those drugs, that bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness. You take that and you nail it to the cross and you wait for it to die. And it might not die until you go to heaven. But the more you feed the spirit man, the easier it is to manage that flesh man. And you put it up there and you put it up there and you go to sleep and you get up in the morning and there's that cross again. And you throw that thing over your shoulder and you get on with your day and here it comes again. I nail it to the cross. I nail it. Oh, I didn't nail it to the cross. Father God, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's cool. I can see your heart. Come here, big boy. Give me a big hug. Get out there and don't mess up again. You know, that's, that's what the relationship is. That's what the walk is like. This is, this is how Jesus, I think, described trying to have both. It's, it's in Revelation. He wrote these seven letters to these seven churches. And one of these churches is at a place called Laodicea. And it's the church that I identify the Western Christianity with the most. I mean, you could find things in every one of those churches, but Laodicea is the one that struggles like we struggle. And here's what Jesus says. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, that's, that's if you look at that, like the alternate translations, he says you taste like vomit, like like, like he hacked you up and you got this nasty vomit taste in his mouth and he's like, come on, be different because you're just, ugh, you're just wrecking my breath, you're killing me here. And he said, if you don't cut it out, either become hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out. I'm not going to keep that taste in my mouth. 
there's a parable. I wasn't going to share it today, but I'll share it today. So you're going to get to hear it twice probably. There's a parable in the scriptures that talks about, I don't know if he's a, a guy who owns a vineyard or an orchard or something, and he's walking through. He's God, right? And, and we're people. We're the trees, the Christians, the church, the trees in his orchard. And he's walking through it. He's admiring the orchard and the trees, and he comes upon this tree. And he looks at it. He's like, that, that tree right there has not produced any fruit since the day I put it in my orchard. And here's the orchard guy, you know, the keeper of the orchard or the vineyard. And he's like, you know what? I want you to dig that tree up and get it out of my orchard. That is a foul-tasting tree in my mouth. Get it out of my, I want to spit it out of my orchard. And, and the vineyard keeper says, you know what? How about we give that tree one more year? And I'm going to dig up around the roots and break the soil up a little bit. I'm going to put some fertilizer. And in one year, you come back, and if there's no fruit on that tree, I'm with you. Let's dig it up and get it out of here because it's, it's, a, it's taking up space in your orchard where some other tree could be that's going to produce some fruit. See, there's a, there's a grace that God has, right? Jesus will, will permit that foul taste in his mouth for a while, but he's not going to have that in there forever. And he's telling them, here's, the, here's where it goes. It says, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Zeal is the opposite of lukewarm. It's like, be hot, be cold, be something, but don't try to be both because you can't be both. You're foul in my mouth. You're a tree planted in my garden that produces no fruit. And there's a while. I'll put up with it for a while. I am a graceful and I'm a merciful God. And I really want to see that thing be fruitful. But I'm not waiting forever. At some point, we're going to dig that thing up and we're going to get it out. Why did he write those parables? You think that, you know, there's trees that are trembling because there's no apples on their branches? No, it's for us. Are we going to be? Stop laughing at me. I see you back there. He's not laughing at me, I'm sure. He said, man, that's the funniest thing I ever heard anybody say. So we need to ask that question about ourselves. That's the process of examining ourselves. We need to ask ourselves. Um, and, and the hard question, not, not about fruitfulness, but the hard question is, what, what will it profit me? Think about this. Are you really willing to trade the red part for the white part? That's what he says. What will it profit a man if you were to gain the whole world? What if you were like king of the world? Like you were Donald Trump on steroids. You got to be president of the United States. You got the best jets and buildings and you own islands. And you, there's nothing. You're Solomon. If you read the Bible, you're Solomon, let's say. There is no pleasure you cannot give yourself in the world. Is it worth it? If you were, is it worth your eternal soul to have the red part of the rope? Or isn't it? I mean, really, it's a stupid question. Nobody, if they would sit down and evaluate that, would say, nope, I'm going to trade this little sliver of rope and then be damned the whole rest of my eternity forever and ever and ever and ever, millions and gazillions of years never end. I'm going to trade this for that. Nobody would do it, except for when the world wants to tempt us. And in that moment, we say, hmm, I don't want to think, la, 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 no white part, no white part, no white part, just, just the red part. That's the question. Here's what it boils down to. What treasure do you desire? No, not desire. That's a bad word, right? It's not what you desire. Because you could make a bad choice if it was based upon what you desire, right? You could say. It's what treasure do you choose? That's it. That's what the whole thing is about. It's to make a choice. Which master will you serve? That seems like a downer, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, come on, cut me a little slack. But no. No. I mean, the scripture says, I'm a watchman on the wall. 
And, and if there's going to be blood, like if somebody's going to have, they're going to shed blood in their, you know, disobedience to God, I'm supposed to go tell them. And if I go tell them, the blood's on them. But if I don't tell the truth, if I don't speak the scriptures the way they are, they get to have the blood, and, and then their blood is on, God says, the blood is going to be on you too because you compromised. He said, not many of you should desire to be teachers because you are, gonna, you are going to incur a stricter judgment. So God bless you. I love you at all, but all, but I don't want to stand before the Lord and have anybody's blood on me. I, I want to have him say, well done, good and faithful slave. I'd be like, Lord, but they all went. He said, yep. Now, don't all go. You know, i really like somebody to talk to. But it's better to speak the truth to nobody than to tell people lies that are going to cause us all to have to pay for it in the end. Amen? All right, let me say a prayer. Teresa said she had something that she wanted to share with you, and then um, Margie and the gang, you guys could probably get ready. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that through your son you don't mince words. You're, 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 you're clear in your call. You're merciful, you're graceful, you're kind. All the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. I, one more, I knew there was one more. Gentleness. These, these are all attributes that, that you reflect, that you emanate perfectly. But at the end of the day, the truth is what the truth is. And Lord... I purpose and I pray over myself and over this entire congregation that we would all make good choices, choices to deny ourselves, to surrender our lives to you, to truly, you know, do you want to give your life to Jesus, actually mean it, such that your glory can shine through your church and that you'll be glorified through deliverances and healings and love and salvation and that the... Lamb of God will receive the reward for his suffering. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to take the offering. So if I can get the guys to come. I'm going to pray over the offering right now. So Father of God, we just come before you. God, with thanksgiving, with praise, and worship in our hearts, God, we just we want to give back to you what you've first given us, Lord. So we take what you've given us, Lord, through our, through our labors and through our efforts, God, and we give, you, give back to you that fruit so that it can be multiplied for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In our pre-service prayer, um, one of the thing that things that kept resounding, and um, and Pastor Pat has even said it throughout his message, which is just confirmation to us that we are hearing, is what's your response? What's your response to his word? What's your response to what was uh, taught here today? Our response is um, what to do not to do what he wants and not so much what we want. It's, and Pastor Pan, this is a quote from him. He said, it's not a matter of what we like, it's about what we decide. So we've heard the word, word here this morning, Father. We ask that our response 
we ask ourselves, what is our response? What is our response going to be to the truth of your word that we heard here today? God, penetrate to our, the deepest parts of our hearts. Let us weed out. Let us weed out. Let us till the soil like the soil of the tree that bore no fruit. God, let us till the soil of our hearts. Let us fertilize it. Let the word become the fertilizer so that that tree, that tree that f- would bear fruit over time. Father, we do not want to be like the Laodiceans, lukewarm in your mouth, God. We want to be zealous for you, for every good thing, for every good thing that you have placed within us, God, that has lied, lied, laid dormant within us, God. May as we have a response to your word today in our lives, God, to, to have the courage to examine ourselves, the courage to take a risk, the courage to give up what is deemed unholy and detrimental to your purpose for our lives to have the courage to say I'm going to make a change today I thank you Lord I thank you for the truth of your word Annika you would have come up as we go into worship Annika has this declaration that she's going to read over us and then we'll go into worship. So this is a blessing that was chosen to read for you guys. Why don't you stand and receive this? Everyone stand and receive this. I bless you with the worshiping spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb to receive all praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength. I bless you with worship that is an echo of the the proclamation of all of heaven. I bless you with singing in your spirit and in resonating in your spirit in the same key as the sound of heaven, keeping time with the beat of heavenly rhythm. There are new songs to hear and sing to the Lord, songs of deliverance, songs of victory, sweet love songs from your bridegroom, songs of comfort, songs of joy, songs of praise, songs you sing, songs you join in singing, and songs the Lord sings over you. I bless you with open heavens to hear and respond to the sound of heaven. Sing it over us. You sing it over me, Jesus. You sing it over us. You sing it over me, Jesus. Yeah. song to new day. 